Are we recording? <laughs> oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. <laughs> Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Going, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day, as long as you had a, a sandwich and a net. Okay, today's episode, we're going to kind of be tying all the things together that we've been discussing with power duration. Um, there's been a lot of extra variables and extra topics that I guess they're not really worthy of one full podcast on their own. Um, and they'd be really intricate if we tried to make it a full podcast and um, they'd be even more boring than the last few episodes. So that would be just punishment to anyone that listens to this. Uh, so we've, I think we have, what do we have here? Eight different or nine. We have a bunch of different little topics to cover within this podcast. So it would be all over the place. Um, and if you have questions about what power, critical power, critical speed, critical torque, and W prime are, you need to go back and listen to our previous episodes because we're not going to discuss that here. So one of the first variables uh, that we'll talk about today that, um, and, um, and, and its relation to how it can affect or how it can change uh, either critical power, torque, or speed uh, is time. And what we mean by time is like the length of an event. Um, so if we just if we just go back to one of the first examples we gave and saying that like uh, I believe we said like if your critical power on the echo bike or air bike was 65 rpms I believe that's the example we gave um, if that's what it actually was the idea is that if you were pedaling you know in that 61 to 3 rpm range for quite some time or intermittently going above it and below it. Um, there is research to suggest that after like 92 hours, two and a half hours, your critical power will reduce. Um, so think of it like a line that's basically straight from the start and it's right at that 65 RPM mark, but over time it starts bending and dipping down. So um, like the idea being if you're going at 60 RPMs at time zero, at time five hours, you might be like five or six RPMs above the critical power now. Um, that just being an example of, uh, of what we mean by time and affecting it. And obviously one of the things about air bike is that it's, uh, there's no load. You're, you're seated on a machine. Um, and I believe uh, running has a, I think, I, I actually don't know this, but I'm assuming, because I, I can't think of it at the top of my head. If someone, if you guys have a, if you know any of the research, you can tell me. But I think running can potentially occur sooner. Um, where you start getting that dip in the critical speed. So again, you start running at time zero, you have critical speed of X. Potentially at 60 minutes, 90 minutes, um, that can start dipping. So that pace that you were trying to hold now starts going above the critical power or critical speed, uh, and you start utilizing some of the W prime. Uh, and obviously the effects of that are previously discussed. Uh, and then I guess what's really interesting, um, like obviously with running, you have much more of a beating on your body than biking. Uh, and if you don't believe that, then you don't run. Um, then the, the, I guess the interesting part would be then, well, if running potentially affects that or at a, like in less time, how much less time is it affected with CrossFit events where you have constant muscular contraction uh, and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of muscular work. So would that theoretical like line of metabol or of work um, start dipping much sooner than 90 minutes 
Who knows? My guess is yes, um, but I can't say for sure. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say it would dip much faster than that because how many events are 90 minutes in duration anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And how many different modalities are you doing that are um, high impact by nature, you know? So you have high load coupled with potentially high impact movements as well. Mm-hmm. I think the the effect on critical power, critical torque, would be uh would be immense and how fast it would drop mm-hmm. right in relation to running and cycling other than the marathon row what was the next longest event ever at the games the one example i was going to give relative to what i just said would be uh, you think of 2015 murph right so you the, and the way you want to think about that is think about um just think about the quadriceps right so likely each one of those squats is 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 utilizing a little bit of that finite resource um with the weight vest air squats right um but the point is is like in the first in the of the first rep or whatever or if you're thinking about the running even let's just do that because the runs the start and the end um if you're running at this like just say the same speed which people weren't doing um if you're at the same speed in the beginning and the end the idea is that you're probably going to be utilizing more of that finite resource at the end if the concept we're talking about makes sense um, because you're likely going to have experienced a lot of muscular breakdown uh, and you've accumulated a lot of met- metabolites over that time so the idea is that each one of the, each unit of time you're working at the end of that is a little more expensive and you're draining a little bit more from that bank account than you were in the beginning um, because you're in a more rest or, or, or a fresher state um, I guess if you if you could think about it in the next year where they did uh, I think they did four was it five rounds or four five rounds they did 20 40 60 yeah the five rounds ones the next year of the yeah. of the Murph partition one so you could think about in the pull-ups like how expensive is each pull-up on the biceps and the lats in the first 20 how expensive is the pull-ups on the biceps and the lats in the last 20 obviously you've accumulated fatigue so it's gonna feel different and um, that's that, that's a that's a different issue but I'm saying if you just compared one repetition performed to the same standards in round one versus round five how much additional work is coming from the W prime theoretically in that fifth round I don't know if that's enough time between round one and round five but that's kind of what you're thinking the, so, time, the times reflected that there was some other variables in there mm-hmm. time of day etc but yeah the times are very different at how much W prime someone had to use on that last run after they did it on partition versus like mm-hmm. partition. And there's a lot of other variables which we're going to cover some of them here that affect that. Um, but even if you we just we just take that idea and make it real simple. So again, you're just doing uh, you're just doing that hand dynamometer thing. You're just squeezing, but now you're squeezing for five hours long, <laughs> and we figured out what your critical torque is, and you're working below it. Uh, the idea is that you know after an hour you're probably now working above the critical torque than than you were previously um so that, that that's what we're getting at here so you start below it in a sustainable uh you're you're working at a sustainable muscular rate of uh, muscular work rate and over time as you accumulate fatigue you are now in an unsustainable work rate where portions of that each contraction are unsustainable and over time likely larger portions are becoming unsustainable um, which will then just reduce the amount of reps you can do per set, how much extra rest time you got to have, etc. And I think you can make a, an assumption that every single rep in CrossFit is above critical torque. 
every for, single one. for the for the for most mod, for most modalities right yeah. when you when you take out rowing um biking running that type of stuff like even like the workload on the calves or the or the soles of the gastroc from uh double unders it's probably right around there because you can have some people but no one's no one's doing 20 minutes in a row or an hour <laughs> right but again you, you also got to remember that each one of these muscles that like each one of these things will have different durations associated with it right like your quadriceps might have a larger duration um, versus something like the soleus or the or the gastroc right in that movement right it might be the critical power or the critical torque but it might only mean that uh, that that functions uh, that you can work at that rate for like six minutes or something or eight minutes it's not uniform across the whole thing it's just the concept of sustainability versus unsustainability and what portion of those contractions are unsustainable uh, okay so duration so the next one would be uh, nutrition I meant to read I didn't read that I sent you that article I didn't read that one actually I thought about it I read, mo I read most of it and I think the biggest thing that they came away was that carbohydrates affect the critical power more than W prime you know like you can't store more but it stops the diminishment of critical power mm-hmm yeah, so I guess it would kind of be kind of makes sense there. So you talk, is it? Did they do that in like some type of long biking event? Yeah, I can't remember the details. It wasn't very dense, so I just went through it quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I forgot to read that. I've been, I don't know why I didn't read it. But anyway, um, I, I would assume the that they did some type of long event because looking at what we just discussed with the duration um, affecting the critical power, the one thing you would try to do is to try to improve. Uh, just having more glycogen or more carbohydrates and more glucose in the system um, because that's a more efficient way of utilizing the oxygen right so you can get more out of that that amount of oxygen you're having in uh, if you're ha if you're if it's carbohydrate fed you're going to get a higher work rate out of it um, so that's yeah and then the opposite being fat right so if you're the the which is um if you're like if you if, again i think the a best example of this is like people that are ultra athletes so if you're an ultra athlete the likelihood is you're working in that moderate domain uh again if you don't know what the moderate domain is go back and listen to the first episode if you're an ultra endurance athlete you're running you know 8 10 12 hour events or even longer um you're probably you're doing most of this work in the moderate domain or you're starting out there and you're and you're probably going to want to stay there as long as you can um so when people like that when they do uh when they do this um it makes sense that they that they could easily not easily but they could make it work with keto that they there's, there's a it's a very popular thing um just being fat adapted right and so if they impact their critical speed and they're an endurance runner and they're an ultra endurance runner it doesn't matter so it doesn't matter as much um because their critical speed is far above the pace they're running right so the goal is to drive the moderate domain as high as possible and make that model to remain as close as possible to the to the critical speed right so they can work in that in that moderate domain because they don't want to have a slow component because they don't want inefficient metabolism so if they affect their critical speed by being keto adapted or fat adapted it's not really that big of a deal right when you talk about someone who's a 5k runner or someone who's like a 2k row specialist or someone who does crossfit it's a horrible idea to reduce critical power critical speed makes no sense because you're still taking in like the, that, that amount of oxygen you have that creates that sustainable work rate you by by making it fat adapted you've made it more expensive so you get less work out of that same amount of oxygen consumption yeah, i think I've, I've seen some stuff where 
even if someone trains keto fat adapted they will throw in a little extra carbohydrates in for races because it's so much benefit to it what duration i i, I heard marathon all the way above yeah i haven't heard sean bearden talk about that from science of ultra i don't actually know if he does keto i don't know if he does he's definitely had people on there talk about it. i haven't listened to it but um just the discussion of nutrition being like carbohydrates can maintain the critical speed long term or critical power or whatever and it's just likely just from efficiency of metabolism that's why it's just easier to break down glycogen and produce energy uh, than is than it is to have to go through beta oxidation. But there are a lot of those ultra guys that are like carnivore as well, right? Yeah. Like a similar idea, but there's there's no carbohydrates there, and they that's how they train. That's how they race all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the intensity, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just the intensity, which again, if you if you sacrifice the critical speed, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because you're not you're never running that fast. If you were in an ultra and you had to fuel at like the eight hour mark, could you imagine having a steak? <laughs> I feel like I'd just be like, I don't know what I'd be doing at eight hours, dude. Yeah. If I could even see my hands by that point, I'd be like, just give me some. But it's funny you yeah. say that though, because in interviews with uh, that Cameron Haynes guy, he talk he, he talks about but like having like massive meals of like pork and like burgers and stuff potentially. Like if he's at an aid station for you know thirty forty five minutes, he'll like crush as much food as he can. And then have a nap and then get up and go again. Speaking of uh, that, uh, that podcast, Science of Ultra, Sean Bearden's the host. Great, great podcast. Um, he actually made a comment to who was he talking? I'm just thinking of the episode I was listening to because um, he called. He referred to ultra running. Uh, it's kind of he's like he referred to it as an eating competition on feet. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. That's a funny way to think of it. Um, okay, so another kind of uh, random variable to consider uh, is con- the type of muscular contraction. So, um, yeah, so you think about doing a just think about doing a squat. So you you lower down on a squat, that's considered an eccentric contraction. Uh, let's just say for some reason you stopped at the bottom for a couple seconds, that's an eccent- that's a, sorry an isometric contraction, and as you stand up, that's a concentric contraction. Uh, based on the based on the the research uh, we've read. Uh, it's just inter- and they I think they do measure it in terms of like um, I don't actually know how they quantify the units, but I I, uh, I think they're just talking about the like potentially the amount of ATP utilized to create these contractions, this amount of work, um, and then they measure obviously blood flow and or uh, oxygen consumption associated with it. Uh, the general trend is like concentric uh, concentric contractions are considered to be more expensive, eccentric contractions are less expensive isometric contractions are the least expensive so the most efficient of the contractions um and one interesting one 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 thing that got me thinking about that initially was when i first listened to uh i think his name is andrew jones and he uh, he was on the science of ultra podcast and he made a comment about how when you when you when you can uh when you can figure out what someone's critical speed is as as an endurance athlete a runner um that's a he's like that's likely just a combination of their <laughs> of the concentric critical speed and the eccentric critical speed that's the what you're seeing is the output of that and that's the way he explained it he's like it's he's like there's a lot to this to trying to, to understand um like metabolism and understanding muscular contraction um and that was like oh that's a that's a super interesting uh statement to hear that there <laughs> He's like the, what, what we're what we're calling the critical speed, and his he's like is likely the output of the concentric 
versus the eccentric critical speeds and it's the average of that and that's how it turns out right now and he's like i don't know how we would ever figure out one or the other but that's probably what it is um and then so you just start looking through research and, and like some, some of the basic research on this and, ah, and that's what it turns out to be so you start thinking about it as a crossfit athlete you're like what does this matter and it doesn't it doesn't matter to you um and people that are the best crossfitters they don't need to know this stuff it might just be an interesting point but i said like um the reason i the reason i initially even cared about it is because it's i think of it like as like this uh performance equation right it's one of these little variables that athletes intuitively deal with and have to deal with and have to make calculations of okay am i going to hold on to this bar for four more reps or am i going to put it down now knowing that lowering it down is a little bit expensive but i know picking it back up is more expensive but is it worth me spending that little bit of eccentric load because it's more valuable to my total time and what i have to finish and there's obviously the context of it right like am i going to keep holding on to the bar for these touch and go deadlifts in round three no it's a five round event i'm going to put it down because i need to save that but at the end i know i can hold on and it's okay to expend that little bit of extra work by eccentrically lowering the, the barbell um, because it's, I know I can hang on just enough and I'm, I'm totally okay to totally expend that W prime right now and to be done with the event, okay? I was just always thinking of the example of you and I going head-to-head in that 50-rep open event. Oh like where it's like the deadlifts, the wall balls, oh. the, oh, the 55. row. 55. 55, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but the example being Mike and I get to the wall at the same time for the handstand push-ups. We both kick up at the same time and I come off the wall first because I know that I'm going to explode if I don't come off the wall. And Mike knows that he can hang on for two more reps. And he tells me after the event, when I saw you kick down off the wall, I knew I had you. Because <laughs> I knew that you had to slow down and that I had to slow down at a slower rate than you did. And that I would accumulate more reps in the time that we had left. Like just that example of like each of us knowing ourselves, but you knowing that, okay, I, I know I got him at this point because I know that – if I do two more reps here and I kick down, I can still kick up and do five more where he's only going to be able to do three or four more or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, again, to my example, was just I think it's just part of this little equation I have in my head that the athlete solves. They just solve it on their own. They don't need to think about it. They just do it, and they make these calculations. Um, like a good example being, you know, the last event of the 2014 games when they it was supposed to be grace. I'm sure people had in their head what they were doing. And it's like, oh yeah, it's double grace, and I'm sure that that changed their opinion of what they're doing, right? Like if you're you're probably going grace, I'm doing ten reps in a row, I'm moving the bar, I'm doing ten reps in a row, I'm moving the bar, I'm gonna try to hang on and do another ten. You're like, oh, it's double grace, I'm doing one rep at a time, I'm doing one rep at a time, because that equation for the athlete is it's better for me to pull it over my head, drop it, not spend the eccentric energy, even though eccentrically it's not as expensive. And they all know this. You all know this is it's it's less effort to bring it down than it is to put it up. Um, and it's also why you're okay resting overhead. You're like, I'm okay to rest overhead and breathe, right? You don't rest while moving, right? You're like, I'm going to pause overhead and breathe. Well, it's an isometric hold overhead. It's in, in literature. It's not as expensive. If you have optimal overhead mechanics, it's a good it's a good bet to make to do that stuff. Um, and this is like getting really nitty gritty, but the thing is, is like you have, <laughs> there has to be some way to explain the human behavior that you're seeing. Uh, and to just use the words of like, well, he just knows how to do it. That's not good enough. Like, that's a good way to talk and discuss with athletes. But if you try to well, actually want to understand what the hell is going on, there's got to be more to it than that. You can't just use words like that. There has to be some definitive explanation behind it as to why would he do that? 
Why would he do that? Oh yeah, because it's less expensive metabolically to do it that way. Um, then it like it, it just works out that way. That's the equation that they're going to solve, and they're going to make it work. Anyway, enough rambling about that one. Uh, the next one, which is uh, interesting, I guess we'll talk about. Uh, we can talk about uh, oxygen saturation. So um, again, let's just say you're. Um, well, here's a good example. <laughs> Let's just say you have that back to that echo bike example where your critical power is 65 RPMs is what it works out to be, and you start blood doping, <laughs> which is totally normal. We uh, <laughs> cut it. <laughs> so what what that ends up doing if you have a if you have a, like an excessive oxygen situation, which that being through EPO, or you know you put someone through you feed them oxygen, um, and they call, also called hyperoxia. Um, what that's going to do is increase their critical power, right? So they're going to they're going to more easily be able to bring oxygen into the system, deliver it, uh, and critical power be, is associated with the is a metabolic rate, right? And the metabolic rate is then associated with a work rate. So if you can increase that sustainable metabolic rate to the to a higher level, that's going to be representative in a faster pace on the air bike that is now sustainable. So your pace likely went from sixty five to seventy RPMs. I'm probably like doing an ad for EPO right now. <laughs> People are like, I can get five RPMs extra? Shit. <laughs> um, but that's what that does. So when they do research, and then I don't, they're not doing it through drugged up athletes, but they're doing it, I, I believe they're, they're feeding people oxygen. Um, yeah, so, they, um, so what that does is increases their critical power, but it doesn't increase the W prime. So it just, so the W, think of like the ceiling of your capacity. Um, by 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 adding by by basically improving the oxygen environment, um, it just it increases the the proportion of that work that is sustainable, um, and it moves it higher up. So it's not a bad thing. <laughs> it just means that the the a larger percentage of your total work capacity is sustainable, but it doesn't increase your finite work capacity. Then the opposite scenario of uh, hypoxia. So I think they just have people bike and they strangle people a bit like. <laughs> <laughs> It's how we do a competition prep here at the gym. <laughs> you say, Borns, you turn around. <laughs> Scott, you getting the belt? Yep. <laughs> Outside the box next week. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, same idea. <laughs> the same idea of critical power is a, metab is a metabolic rate. Mike hasn't been sleeping very much. He's going a bit squirrely. <laughs> yeah, so if you reduce the amount of oxygen the person can take in, that's going to affect that, that new sustainable work rate. So the critical power will now be represented as maybe 60 RPMs on the bike. But oddly enough, uh, that doesn't seem to change the W prime. So if there's, a if there's a finite amount of work you're able to do above critical power in there's a normal oxygen scenario, uh, it doesn't seem to be affected by a reduced oxygen scenario. So that's an interesting little thing. With the hyperoxia, W prime. And just last thing on that, one, they do, they also do this study with regards to like forearm complete occlusion of the forearm. So they do it where um, their estimation is that the critical torque of the forearm musculature is based, like the critical torque is below resting because they've they've completely blocked off any blood flow, and the estimation on work that can be done is still of the W prime is still the same. So, Which is I thought that was really interesting. So for hyperoxia, does the prime stay the same or it decreases? It decreases, decreases right? Because yeah. the work, the sustainable work rate. A larger proportion goes up. Increases. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. So W prime would be what's 
what kind of energy is stored in your muscles. Uh, that's that, pretty much. They, that's, they, they have lots of little, they have lots of discussions about it. Um, and obviously, this this little this simple thing of messing with the oxygenation shows that oxygen is is somewhat integral to W prime, mm-hmm. um, and and it's affecting it because if you increased the oxygen saturation of the environment, it shouldn't change W prime if oxygen wasn't it wasn't changed by it. Or had, didn't have some effect on it, so it has some effect. But again, they don't really—they're not really sure about that. But it's just a little interesting tidbit. But, but ma- massive impact on critical power, though. Yeah. Massive, yeah. because again, their idea with critical power torque speed is a—that's a metabolic rate, and it's considered the highest metabolic or or sustainable effort. That is, when their words is wholly oxidative. Uh, so if you can, if you impair the oxygen environment. You're going to reduce what that what that representation is in work now, and that being like where the example we're using here is on the echo bike. Um, but you can think about it with handstand push-ups too, right? That probably affects your AMRAP handstand push-ups, probably. Okay, so, uh, so kind of similar to that is uh, blood flow. Um, so they make it very clear that in- anything that impacts blood flow uh, to the muscle, if they're if they're if they're measuring like say the quadriceps, or they're just measuring something in general, uh, or through like a whole body event, like um, cycling running uh, anything that impairs blood flow and reduces it somewhat will impact oxygen delivery which will impact critical power critical speed critical torque um, and so like one one example of that is I think I, I can't remember if I posted it a while ago but it's just the the concept of like um, how much blood flow can you get to your arms if you're doing a shoulder press versus how much blood flow can you get to your arms if you're doing a thruster so the fact that you're going to start utilizing your legs in that movement is going to likely impair the amount of blood that you can get to your arms because in a thruster you have to use your legs um, versus a press you're just standing and shoulder pressing so again this is a little little out there but the idea is that there you if you were to able to calculate the work rate of the arms in a press it's likely going to be higher than the work rate of the arms in a thruster because the thruster is going to likely have a reduction in blood flow, specifically when you put it in the context of CrossFit and you have a high respiratory, high cardiac output demand already. As a, don't think of it as just one thruster. Think of it as like a lot of thrusters where you start getting fatigued. Okay. And then another way to think about that is like, uh, I guess, kind of like stealing blood. <laughs> it's, it's the, what what comes to mind with that is not what we're going to discuss. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> like I experienced two days ago where I almost passed out um, because it was extremely hot here and I was running fast, um, is, is exercising in the heat or having a lot of, uh, having a lot of excess heat. So uh, one thing that we know that does is usually you're going to have to send more blood to the periphery and to the, to the skin to try to offload some of the heat. But the problem with that, especially if you're working anywhere around critical power or above or critical speed associated with running, um, is that that's problematic because you're gonna like you're gonna start stealing some blood from the muscles the muscles that you want to send them to, uh, and I, and is that actually happening? I don't know if it actually was happening, but uh, perceptually, running in the heat at those paces was a lot harder than than when it wasn't hot, uh, and heart rate was a lot higher. Now I can't say that that's the best example of cardiac output, but still, uh, it was a lot higher. So. And I was running at a similar pace versus a not a non-heated environment. Uh, and again, the idea is that as you get hot, your blood you're going to start sending more blood to the skin to try to offload heat through sweat, and that's going to have a problem because if blood goes elsewhere, it can't go to where it's needed in terms of functional muscular work. 
Another issue with that is like maybe over time or like really, really high efforts for an extended period of time um, is just the respiratory system and how much breathing you're doing. And like the, the, the respiratory system will start take it takes up a lot of uh, blood flow oxygenation as it is. Um, but over time, for some people, it can start taking up more and more and more. And that blood flow is not going to get redirected to the legs. It's going to be it's going to have to go to the respiratory system to function. So that's what we mean by blood theft. So I'm sure that's what you had in mind, too. Uh, okay, another blood flow discussion. Um, yeah, and then what we were, I guess we can talk about the first one when we made the point of uh, the ultra athletes. Because when they generally work in the moderate domain, which is um, mod the end of the moderate domain is generally the, 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 the traditional lactate threshold, or sort of the first lactate threshold. Um, and why that's important to, to consider for an ultra athlete is generally with regards to the kinetics of oxygen consumption is that you're gonna, you'll reach a steady state oxygen consumption quite quickly when you're in the moderate domain. And the importance of that is that you're gonna be running at say, let's just say five kilometers per hour. Um, and the oxygen consumption is gonna stay at, that, at like that same level from minute two to minute 60 probably for people that are good at running or even longer. And it's gonna stay there for a long time. Um, and the reason that's important is because um, if you go into the heavy domain, you'll start having what's called the slow component. So the oxygen consumption you have at two or three minutes, maybe now you're running at 430 per kilometer, um, that oxygen consumption is going to go up a little bit when you talk about 20 minutes and 30 minutes. And it'll level off, but the difference between the oxygen consumption at two minutes and 30 minutes is expensive. And when you're running for 10 hours, you can't do that or you're gonna to have to walk at points and you're gonna start utilizing glycogen faster and it's just, it's inefficient uh, and it presents a lot of challenges. So that's the idea with, um, of, of, of I guess the, the point of this little discussion is about how the metabolic rate of the muscle uh, is what determines the blood flow of the muscle, not just the work rate per se. So uh, what I mean by that is the work rate in that second example was the person was running at 430 per kilometer and the work rate didn't change over the hour um, but in that example, because they're working in that heavy domain, they're going to have an increase in oxygen consumption, which is going to have an increase in blood flow to the muscle, which is going to have an increase in metabolism in general. Uh, and that increased from zero to 60 minutes, whereas the pace did not change. But if they went slower at five minutes per kilometer, the thinking is their pace would stay the same and their work rate would stay the same. So they wouldn't uncouple from each other. Uh, the other example, um, that's just, that's just oh, if you, anyone wants to look it up, it's just called the slow component. Um, of VO2 kinetics. It's a very interesting uh, concept. There's lots of factors associated with it, but it's good reading. The second one, which we talked about briefly in the second podcast and the, and the third podcast about critical torque um, and intermittency was the idea of, um, and this is, this is what we're getting at with like the metabolic rate of the muscle is what determines blood flow versus the work rate. So you could have the same work rate over the course of 10 minutes, but if you do it in different factions, you'll have a different metabolic rate, which will then change the, the blood flow. So uh, one example I have written here is like, let's say you're doing a hand, that hand dynamometer again, you got your arm on the table uh, and you're squeezing at X units for one second to work, one second to rest over and over. That's more expensive than doing two seconds of work, two seconds of rest. Even though that's the same duty cycle, if you go back and remember that, that's 50% of the work time, one second work, one second rest. But because you're doing for two seconds at the same force, it's less expensive over time. 
comments on that? And the reason it's more expensive is because starting a contraction is more expensive than holding it. When, and this is in terms of an isometric contraction. So the process of engaging and, and creating force and getting up to that amount of force is more expensive than just holding onto it. Not by a lot, but it's enough. Any comments on the other stuff we've had so far? The last one we got to talk about is muscle damage, exercise induced muscle damage. Um, yeah, so that, that makes sense for someone who, I guess let's just say if you had to do like a 2K row on Friday of the CrossFit Games, and you had to do a 2K row on Saturday morning of the CrossFit Games after like pummeling yourself for a few days. Um, again, the idea is that as you accumulate um, muscular damage, um, that like what that what that sustainable pace on Friday was in the rower is is likely going to be a little bit less on Sunday, and I'm sure that's very that varies per person as to verse, like as to how like how people adapt and how people uh, actually break down during exercise and their recovery and their fueling whatever. Um, but the research points to that it'll likely be a little bit lower. Uh, how much lower will vary a lot per person, um, but it should be lower. And I think people know that intuitively. Again, like. Like if I did a 2K row on Friday, they didn't tell us, and then they didn't tell us any of the events. We showed up on Sunday morning, and it's the same event, 2K row. The like, like you got to think the likelihood is you're probably going to go a bit slower, <laughs> right? You're probably going to go a bit slower, um, just because like a larger portion of that work rate is going to, or your your sustainable work rate is going to be a little bit lower, and that's what the research tells us. And it'd be just same thing again, right? You start thinking about you do any event on Friday morning and then you show up again and got to do Sunday morning. It doesn't matter what it is. The likelihood is that because you've accumulated work and damage um, that you're probably going to go a bit slower. But there is one big caveat to that, which we'll get to. Um, oh, it's a caveat in my opinion. And probably our opinion. Yeah. Um, okay, so... That was just some interesting little variables that I probably find interesting and maybe three other people do. But that's probably it. <laughs> what? All of us are in this room. That's we're, it. We're raining listeners from this one. <laughs> um, okay. Then, so what, like some limitations to this model. Uh, there's numerous limitations. One, uh, we can't measure it. <laughs> so that's pretty good limitation. <laughs> Um, but again, you, you can't you can't you can't say that it's not valuable because you can't measure it. That's not that's not an argument against the concept, um, because in certain in many circumstances they can measure all this stuff and they can tell you what's happening and they can predict what's happening, um, and that you 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 can't disregard that. You just you can't do it. I, you, you would have to present me with a really good argument as to why you can disregard it, and why, and, and why and why it doesn't make sense, but. Um, the so fact it, is now we just can, we can't measure it in a CrossFit setting. And just because we can't measure it doesn't mean it doesn't give a good framework. Exactly. Like good and that's all we're getting at here. Yeah. And it's what we first talked about with this, right, is that this the power duration relationship is not telling you how to train. It's not. It's trying to show you what is happening mm -hmm. when you are performing activity, right? But there are some limitations to it. Um, and, again, this is what I like. They're open about it. They just like yeah, this this does. It's better to think about repetition maximum when th when trying to predict how many squats someone's going to do at seventy percent than it is to think about critical torque. It is because it's a better prediction. So if you look at like what someone's one rep max front squat, okay, let's just say we have some guy one rep one rep max front squat four hundred pounds. So we go to seventy five percent. So three hundred pounds. 
and you're like, man, I guess he'll probably get between five and ten reps. Like, eh, but that's that's a pretty good guess. Um, and if you go higher, you'd be even more accurate. You're like, okay, we're gonna go 395 pounds. I'm gonna guess he's getting one rep, <laughs> maybe, maybe one rep. Um, and so when you're in those high percentages, it's much. It, it seems to be much more relevant to just base it off a known one repetition maximum. But when you get lower, you anybody who does this knows you can't make those predictions anymore. When you start getting around fifty percent, forty percent, thirty percent, twenty percent, you you just you can't base it off one rep maxes anymore. Yeah, there there hasn't really been a great model, in my opinion, that projects what happens when the person that can do a four hundred pound front squat has to do 100 at 95 pounds mm -hmm. and understanding why someone that has a 300 pound front squat can beat that person mm -hmm. potentially. Well, again, if you were to measure, yeah, if you were to measure it, right? Like if you're just doing front squats and you start going down to those types of loads, you likely would, if you were able to start calculating critical torques, you would then start being able to make projections because yeah. you could have someone who front squats 50 pounds less who has an equivalent uh, critical torque of the quadriceps potentially in terms of absolute work. So you could have like, man, how come this guy who's stronger than me, how come I'm beating him? You're like, well, he's just really strong. He doesn't actually do anything besides strength work. You're like, oh yeah. It's like, yeah, so you have a lot of endurance capacity. And we we know that, for. but yeah. this, this model explains it pretty well. I think so, but because again, once you start, you have to think about, when you start thinking about it in terms of that little graph we posted last time and each of these little bars and what percentage of those bars and that one bar representing one contraction, what percentage of it is sustainable? So for someone who's really strong and unfit, a large percentage of that bar is unsustainable, right? Where you can have someone who's weaker and is very well developed um, and they're going to have a much larger portion of each one of those bars that is sustainable, right? So that's uh, that's what it, so when you, again we start talking about 70, 80 percent, 90 percent. It's better to just kind of make assumptions based off someone's known uh, known one rep maxes and not power duration. Uh, next one, which is a great example. Did you guys watch that video of Siler? Yeah. yeah, it was good. Tom watched it, so Tom can talk about it too. Um, yeah, he just like he just goes through uh, Steven Siler actually like did I I don't know if he did the three minute test. No, he didn't. He just did longer. different time to exhaustion trials and he took and then he tried to reverse calculate w prime yeah, and so he but how did he know the critical power well he took his actual training measurements and he plugged them into the mathematical equation mm -hmm. did he have the vo2 kinetics to establish the critical power how did he establish that i just didn't i didn't i didn't catch that part um i think he just took like average paces held for uh, a six minute power test and so he just reverse engineered it a bit. Exactly. Okay. So he just took his measurements from training yeah. and like, yeah. so he did, he took his hour time, yeah. his functional, what is it called? FTP. The FTP, yeah. So he takes his FTP, plugs it in to the equation and he gets out that. Hmm. I didn't know he did that. calculates that his FTP is actually above what his theoretical critical power is. Mm -hmm. But he's like, but this is my actual measurement. So that's. Uh, incorrect mm -hmm. and then he did a so six mean, minute peak power and he did the same thing mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting so like again with this guy let's just say he let's just say he got the measurements correctly um and he is an older individual mm -hmm. right so the like like likely you would assume there's going to be some impact um as to how this relationship works as you age potentially there's maybe some differences there as you age versus if you're young mm -hmm. 
Um, so there might be some caveats they've, that they've yet to kind of uh, just just explain. Uh, but he goes through a good example of like the, some of these estimates of how long he should be able to do X, Y, and Z are, are off, right? Because again, the the real the real uh, value of this is for someone like him is to be able to say, okay, this is my this is the this is my critical power on the ro on the road bike, which is to say X watts, and based on this, I should be able to work at this wattage. Or 50 watts above that for X amount of time, and it wasn't exact, right? Um, but to me, the fact that it's even in the ballpark is enough. I'm mm -hmm. like, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then when you get to the short end stuff, was when it was really off, right? Uh, yeah, it was the like short 10 end seconds, stuff. 15, 20 seconds, yeah, like 50 seconds, whatever. It was it like estimated yeah, his yeah. max. He was like, I can't do that for 15 seconds. Yeah. He's like, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I can't even hit the number. Yeah. So that's why I'm mean. like, maybe there's maybe there's some glitches either in his measurement or glitches just in age. I mean, it also could be day to day as well. Oh, there is day to day fluctuations feel, yeah. in it, right? And it's not like he did the 60 minute on the yeah. same day as the six. But the 60 minute is not a test of critical power. Right. That's the other. Which he there's no way he would have. He knows that. There's so there's no way he would. Maybe he was just doing something. Anyway. Um, I guarantee you this will happen to a lot of people is that if you actually could measure and assess it, the predictions of what your time should be at different work rates is probably going to be off by a bit because it's not going to be exact because there's a big, big piece to this that is not included. Um, and then, yeah, which is the next part. Um, so Jason, God love him. <laughs> Jason did a... Or do you actually have any, do you have any comments further before we move on? I don't know if the ski is the best measure. I think a bike yeah. is a better measure. It's but. still. So, like Jason was just getting at, um, Jason decided to do the three-minute critical power test, and it's one in the it's one that's documented research. They've done it through, so critical speed test or critical power test. They usually just do it on a bike, um, but there's a lot of things that they do. Uh, I, I believe they don't allow the RPMs to go too high, so that's obviously a problem for anyone in a CrossFit gym because you're not going to have those bikes. The critical speed test for running is um, is, is, is literally it's a three-minute test. You sprint as hard as you can, and you just allow yourself to slow down. It's just sound. It's, if that doesn't sound awful to you, again, you just don't you don't you don't run or you don't train hard very often because <laughs> that just sounds miserable. Um, but anyway, the thinking is that if you do a max effort sprint. Um, or if you're on the rower, right? If the, if the rower was functional for this test, you would go as hard as you possibly could, which Jason did yesterday in the ski erg, um, right from the get-go. And then you just hold on and hang on as long as you possibly can do it. <laughs> and if you watch Jason, his like it will we'll post a picture of his graph. It was quite good. It looked like that hyperbolic curve where it starts high and comes down and then it starts to flatten out. And that's what they call the asymptote. And that's what they would expect to be the critical power of him on the skierg. But one thing that they've never done this on skierg, so who knows? But the one question I had, or we were thinking initially, is that it might actually need to be longer on skierg. It might I, need to be like four or five minutes. Yeah, I found. I mean, that might just be a. Because you were still going. Well, you weren't really going down that much in the last no, thirty seconds. It, it leveled out, and then it kind of had another drop, and it leveled out mm -hmm. again. Um, the very beginning of it, the test. I don't think the skier. I, you can't go hard. You I can't go that I hard. couldn't go reach hard. my peak yeah. power output on the skier, mm -hmm. and then actually, believe it or not, the last minute or or half a minute, I think I was trying. Like my critical torque was 
gone. Like I had nothing. I couldn't transfer <laughs> the energy into into the. the but that's the part of the air. test, right? Yeah, that's all. That's all it, built it is, into the but test. If, if you could adjust the damper, it might have been a little bit more. Okay, like you mean to lower it? Yeah, it might yeah. have been a little bit more of a, a normal line. Ten. ten. He had a damper ten. Yeah. So I think if on a if on a biker you'd have to do a damper ten yeah. because you you can't you can't be going like 130 RPMs. But with with the bike, your RPM lowers and. I think with the rower and the ski, you can still keep the same strokes per minute. Your just ability to transfer that mm-hmm. into the, the flywheel is very yeah. different. So very we got different. we only got a few minutes. So quickly, one quick topic, which I just forgot to mention, was the contraction. Uh, or sorry, the one of the blood flow things, the metabolic rate uh, and the speed of contraction. I did a little test on that a while ago with the biker and just assessing actually with Moxie, so Nears technology uh, and heart rate. Um, and working at the same work rate for I think it was like five minutes of work, one minute of rest for like a couple rounds. Um, and I did it at like uh, dampers like one, three, five, seven, and ten. And damper five felt the most perceptually felt the best because I'm most comfortable with it. But five, seven, and, and ten were by f- were noticeably um, metabolically easier in terms of the readings, in terms of the oxygen utilization, and also in terms of heart rate. Um, is to compare it to damper one versus damper three, and it's just thinking about it's the same total contraction time, right? You would say, because you're just having a longer contraction on a slower RPM, um, but I'm working at the same rate. But it's way more expensive to do to do faster contractions like that, even though they're less mm-hmm. they're less intensive. And that's what it means by starting the contraction being more expensive than kind of maintaining it a bit, and that and so it functions sort of in a dynamic profile like that. But what we're getting at here um, is with, with, so with Jason, Jason did that test yesterday. It was really hot too, so I can't believe he did it, uh, which is why he perished. Um, <laughs> and the artist formerly known, formerly known as Jason is here today. <laughs> I just wish I could have got a picture of you coming out of the bathroom. You're just all sweaty everywhere. You're like, I don't feel so good, man. I'm like, holy shit. Have you ever seen a sick moose before? <laughs> Anyway, so one of the things with that test, if you do it, um, or if you do any test like that, that's going to be like, this is, this is an example of physiology and what we're trying to get out of this. Any athlete knows there's a gigantic component of that test and those results that are psychological. Um, and, no, and everyone seems to take that for granted. Because if Jason just didn't want to try that hard or he wasn't motivated to try that hard, his critical power would be different in that test. So the measurement would be different. The W prime would be different. And that's what research shows. So if you, if you put someone into a test like that, and they usually do it on a stationary bike, and you make them do some type of mentally fatiguing task that does not affect the way that their brain activates their muscles, it doesn't affect the way that they take an oxygen, it doesn't affect any of that, it does reduce their critical power. And why is that? Thanks for tuning in. If you like the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. 
And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to OptimumPerformanceCalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.